Think like Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. That'll be the text we're looking at. And then we're going into the verses that follow. Father, I thank you for the day you've given to us. As we get into your word this day, Lord, I pray our hearts and minds will be directed only to you. And Father, we're looking at a very important subject of having our minds be transformed in a way that we can begin to think like you in every circumstance and situation that comes into our lives. I believe that if we begin to look this way, Lord, it'll open up the avenue of your spirit to work freely within our lives. We'll be able to speak the words that you would speak to us and through us to those around us, bringing healing, justice, Lord, and being able to encourage in such a way that others might come to know you as Lord and Savior. For you put us here for a purpose, Lord, and a reason. We're not here just to gather together on a Sunday. Father, we're here to be empowered and encouraged, Lord, enriched, so we might go forth, Lord, and speak. Let the fire shut up in our bones. Let your spirit begin to move in our lives. So we begin to speak to those around us, letting other people know we love the Father. We love the Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. To think like Jesus. Think like Jesus. Now, last week, we kind of I finished laying the, the foundation, the nine foundational stones or blocks of which return, renewing or re, rethinking your life. And one of those stones we looked at was actually dealt with the mind of Christ, having the mind of Christ. And so I want to spend a little time this morning in dealing specifically with that. Now, what we're going to do is there's several characteristics of having the mind of Christ and how the Lord thought. And so we're going to go through very quickly this week, and then hopefully, prayerfully, the next few weeks, I'll go over each one of those as individual subjects, and we'll take and begin to focus a little bit more on that. As I said in the beginning, that we really are preaching message of revival. We're looking for God to work in our lives, through our lives, so other people that we come in contact with, lives can be transformed and changed. Amen? We're not gathering together on a Sunday morning for entertainment. We're not gathering on a Sunday morning to see who's around and what we can get involved with and what's coming up for the next week, etc., it's not something we do just because we have the time to do it, but Father, it's because we're focused on something. We have a purpose in mind, and this church has been designed with a purpose, and God has called us to fulfill that, that plan, amen, in all things. Now, in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah asks the question, who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? And then we hear Paul saying, hey, look it, for who has known the mind of the Lord and that he may... Instruct him. And look what Paul says. He said what? But we have the mind of Christ. Look to the person beside you and say, we have the mind of Christ. Amen. Amen. Wow. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mercy, which is what? Christ in you. The hope of glory. And I want you to end the line, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We can understand the mind of the Lord because Christ knows the mind of the Father. And the scripture says Christ himself lives in us. And so we have to look at that passage and, and we say, hey, you know, what does that really mean to have the mind of Christ? Well, to have the mind of Christ means that we, we've learned to think like Jesus. It means that we have developed the same attitudes as Jesus. And now we have the same reactions that Jesus would have. As I go through the scriptures, I realize that's ultimately the Father's goal for our life. That we would learn to be like Jesus. That we would learn to imitate Christ. To have the right same attitudes and reactions and to think like Jesus. That's his desire. That's why the word came to us and was made flesh in Christ. And you and I cannot become like Christ until we learn to think like Christ. And that's what it means, folks, to have the mind of Christ. To learn to think like Jesus. Now I said this, 
it's a learning process. We have to learn to think like Jesus. Amen. So what does it mean? What does it mean to have the mind of Christ? And this morning I want to go through several, probably about ten characteristics of what it is. The person who has the mind of Christ is going to show and demonstrate these characteristics. The same one that Jesus demonstrated himself. There's many to go through, so we're going to do it quickly. So hold on to your hats. Here we go. If you don't have a hat next time, bring one so you can hold on to it. Let's get into it. Number one, when I have the mind of Christ, I know exactly who I am. When I have the mind of Christ, I know exactly who I am. You say, well, why? Why, when you have the mind of Christ, do you know exactly who you are? Because Jesus was never fuzzy about who he was. He knew exactly who he was. No one had to tell him at that point or encourage him to think a certain way. He knew exactly who he was. And in fact, the New Testament reveals that Jesus would respond several times in describing and defining himself. Look what he said in John 6.35. He said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the, the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 15.1, I am the true vine. In, Matthew, in Mark chapter 10 and 61 and 62, he said, I am the son of God. I guess we conclude from this that he knew exactly who he was. He wasn't fuzzy. There was no doubt in his mind. He didn't wake up one morning and question. He knew exactly. And because he knew exactly who he was, he had the true identity under Christ. Now he could be all God had called him to be. He had purpose. Let me tell you something. Only your creator can tell you who you truly are. No one else can do that. You say, well, Pastor Bob, why is that so important? Because if you don't know who you are, if you don't identify as God would have you identify, be identified, then you're going to waste your life. If you don't know who you are in Christ Jesus, if you don't know the reason why he made you, then you're going to waste your life. Or you're going to allow other people to force you into their mold. And other people are going to decide for you who you are. They're going to, you're going to be manipulated and shaped by their expectations of others. Those others are going to, don't do that. Don't allow that. Or the other side of it is, if you're not being forced into their mold, then you're going to end up living this phony life. You're going to walk around pretending that you're somebody you're not. You're going to fake it. You're always going to be wearing a mask, trying to fit in and trying to represent or reflect the people you're around because you don't know who you truly are. And anytime you find yourself confused in life, it brings stress in your life. If you're confused about who you truly are in Christ Jesus, then you're going to have stress in your life. It happens all the time when you don't know who you truly are. So when you begin to think like Jesus, so when I think like Jesus, I know exactly who I am. Why? Because Jesus knew exactly who he was and he created you. So it makes sense, does it not? Number two, when I think like Jesus, I know God's purpose for my life. That's important. To know his purpose for your life. He knew exactly what he was called to do. His vision and his, his purpose, his goals were crystal clear. Look what Jesus said here in John 8, 14. Even if I testify on my own behalf, Jesus was saying, my testimony is valid. For I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. And look what he says. But you're clueless. That's what he said. You have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. Jesus knew exactly 
who he was. He knew exactly his purpose. He knew exactly where he was and where he was going to be going. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you know this morning where you came from? I mean, really, do you know where you came from? And do you know really this morning where you're going? That's important. You have to, I can't answer that for you. You've got to. You know, I thought about this purpose that Jesus had. He, that was settled very early in his life. It was revealed very early in his life. The Bible tells us that age 12, he already was driven with a purpose. You know the account, Luke chapter 2, verse 49. Jesus says to, to his parents, Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's? I had to be in my father's house. Be about my father's business. You know the account. Jesus is 12 years of age. He's left at the temple. Mary and Joseph, they have saddled up the donkeys and whatever else they had to, carts, etc., and they're heading home. And all of a sudden they realize Jesus is not in any of the traveling parties. They didn't have any GPS finders, you know, they couldn't like spot them that way. So they turn around and they go back. And they begin to search for Jesus. They didn't go to the temple first. They were searching for Jesus, trying to figure out where he might be. And finally they find him. He's teaching the elders. At 12 years age, he's teaching the elders in the temple. I love to have been there. And he looks up to his, his parents and said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus at age 12, he knew his purpose. And so my question is right away, as parents and as grandparents, are we preparing our kids and our grandkids for God's purpose in their life? Even at this early age. We need to be spending time before our Heavenly Father, allowing God to give us insight to each one of our children or grandchildren's lives and what God would have them to become. And we need to encourage them and prepare them in such a way. And I think one of the ways it begins, we begin to prepare them in worship and in praise. Can you say amen? To prepare them. Prepare them. Prepare them for God's purpose in their life. And I don't want you to put on them what you think God's purpose is for their life. I want you to find out what God's purpose is for their life. Amen? And it may not just be missionaries or preachers. There's other areas of too in our life that God Almighty wants us to be an example for. And of course, we understand that Jesus Christ, his ministry expanded. He became very, very specific in his purposes in life. In John 10, 10, look what he said. He said, for the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy, but I have what? I have come that you might have life and have it to its full. That was one of the purposes of Jesus. That's one of the purposes of us coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior is that we think we have life, but he's saying, I want, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He said, not just a little bit of life, I want you to have it to the full. He also told us in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to what? Seek and to say that was lost. Now think about that for a moment. If we're going to have the mind of Christ, then we should be thinking like Jesus. And so that should tell us that we in our lives should be here to allow other people to have life to the full. To enjoy, that they can enjoy really life to the full. And that our goal ought to be, as it was his purpose, to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus not only knew who he was, but he also had his purpose. 
In fact, right up until the death of Christ on the cross, his purpose was clear. We recognize the night before, the night before Jesus is executed. What's the scripture tell us? He's in Gethsemane. He said, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. He knew who he was. He knew his purpose. He wants you and I to know the same. He wants you and I to know our purpose. And you'll get to know God's purpose when you begin to think like Jesus. Amen. Number three. When I have the mind of Christ, I'm always aware that God is with me. Wow. How many people who name the name of Christ feel themselves at times alone? We see that Jesus lived in the very presence of his Father. He stayed connected to his Father. He would take time to get alone and pray. John 16, 32 says this, But a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered each to his own home. You will, what? You will leave me all alone. Yet, I am not alone, for my Father is with me. Jesus says, you may all scatter and leave me alone, but you know what? I am not alone, for my Father is always with me. I'll tell you what, the greatest antidote for loneliness is to think like Jesus. And anytime you, you begin to feel lonely, and it can happen to any one of us at any time, I want you to understand, when you're feeling lonely like you are, got no one around you, at that very moment, you're not living in the mind of Christ. Because Jesus said, I am not alone. I know the Father's always with me. Jesus was always aware of God's constant care. Kind of rhymes, doesn't it? He said, Pastor Bob, how in the world can, can I stay aware, aware of God's constant care? Prayer. <laughs> you thought it was going to be some deep thing, didn't you? It's prayer. That's the easiest way that I know. Prayer. Jesus had and developed a prayer life. He, habit, he developed a habit. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 16 says, but Jesus often, what's the key word here? Kind of stopped at it. Jesus often withdrew to be lone, to lonely places to pray. He often slipped away. Where's Jesus? He praying. Have you seen Jesus? Haven't seen him in a while. Where is he praying? He often does that. It has nothing to do with us. It's got to do with him and his relationship with his father. Often. It means that it wasn't like once in a while, it wasn't like once in a lifetime, or, or only when he was struggling or when he was facing persecution or facing the cross. No, no, no. The scripture says he often did it. It was a habit in his life. Now think about that for a moment. We talk about being more like Jesus. We want to worship and praise. We want God to move in our services, the Spirit of God to be free, and yet we don't spend time in prayer. If Jesus knew it was important for him to often separate himself, to get alone and pray, don't you think you and I ought to be doing the same? All the more reason why we ought to be doing it if Jesus himself recognized that he needed to do it. And I think that's the reason why he was always aware of the presence of the Father. Let me be very blunt. I'm not used to being blunt, so I know it will be surprising to some of you. How often do you slip away during the day just to pray? 
before. We get so caught up in the daily activity. And what we have to do next, the phone ringing, the texting, and all that's going on. What we need to be next is the places and schedules and all that, where the kids are going to be, yada, 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 yada. We don't have time. The scripture says he slipped away. He withdrew himself. All that other needs and demands were going on around him. He just slipped away. Let them all deal with it. Let it go round and round, do its thing. I just need to get along with the Lord. I don't need to spend hours before him. I just need to get away. Just slip away. I think your day, my day goes a whole lot better when I develop that habit of just simply taking a moment and slipping away. If Jesus felt that need to, how much more should we? See, you miss the gifts of God when you fail to get with God. Oh, but I, I, I'm so busy. If you're too busy to get with the Lord, then you're out of God's will. See, if we would take somehow sandwich prayer between here and there and everywhere, we'd get more done. We all need those quiet times. We all need those times just to reflect, those times to renew, those times to recharge. And I'm not talking about just going before the Lord and spilling out our guts because we've got this problem. Take care of it, Lord. No, I'm talking about a time slipping away so we can renew, so we can reflect, and we can just get alone and recharge. And that's really what a Sunday morning, you know, with the worship, the worship should be like that. It should be the body of Christ coming together and recharging as a body of Christ for the next activity, for the next week. I'm going to show you now how cultured I am. The famous, famous, the famous French philosopher. You know something? Can't. My mouth is sticking. <laughs> Pascal, he said this, man's mo most of man's problems come from his inability to sit still. I said, well, that's a philosopher of the world. Then I said, you know what? Look what God said. Be still and know that I am God. Ha! I think that philosopher stole it from somebody. Because God Almighty already said, be still and know that I am a God, and I will be exalted among the nations. I will exalt, be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. God of Jacob is our refuge. He said, just got to pause and think about that for a little bit. That's our, one of our greatest, greatest problems we have is that we don't have the ability just to sit still for a moment. We got to be doing something. We got to go over here and everywhere. That's called amusement, which means that we are not thinking. We don't want to. We don't want to contemplate. We don't want to spend time. Because if I spend time alone with the Lord, he might speak to me, not just encourage me, but might reveal some things. And I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with a kid that, that's just coming. I don't want to discipline a child that just wants this and wants this and wants this. Just give them what they want just to shut them up. i got to have just some peace. He still knows he is God. So he said. Jesus knew who he was and knew what his purpose was. He was always aware of God's presence. And number four, God help me to choose my words. When I have the mind of Christ, I let God help me choose my words. Have you ever been in a situation where your mouth was engaged before your brain was? And then you thought, that was dumb. But it was already spoken. Now how do I reel it back? 
do I stop? Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verse 49. He said, For I do not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. He's about the Father's purpose. To have the mind of Christ says that I, I'm allowed God to help me choose my words. I'm going to think before I speak. Jesus said, I didn't speak without thinking. I just didn't run off at the mouth. I asked God to help me with the right words. Wouldn't it be good if we help, ask the Lord to help us manage the words that we speak and manage our mouth? If you have the mind of Christ, you will. You'll ask Him to help. You'll think before you speak. You'll pay attention. Instead of re reacting to the situation, you'll begin to respond to the heart of our God. But the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. So if I, so if I find my mouth, you find your mouth frequently getting yourself in trouble, the antidote is think like Jesus. Begin to put the mind of Christ, put on the mind of Christ. Number five, when I think like Jesus, I won't worry about pleasing everybody. Now, if we've got any people pleasers in the congregation, then this is going to be a hard one for you. Because as a people pleaser, other people dominate your life. If you're a people pleaser, then other people are calling the shots in your life. If you're a people person, you're always worried about what other people are thinking. If you're a people person, and if you're a people person, you're always worried about what other people are thinking. You cannot be thinking about what God wants you to be or what God wants for your life. So I need to put, put on the mind of Christ. And when I put on the mind of Christ, I begin to learn to think like Christ. And I won't worry about pleasing other people. Instead, I'll be focused on living for an audience of one. Focused on pleasing Him. Let Him lead me and let Him speak to me. And, and I'll tell you what, if my relationship is right with God, then my relationship is going to improve around me with others. Because I can only give to people what I have received. And if you want to be a blessing to someone, then allow God to bless you. Amen. So when I say focusing on the audience of one, I'm not saying shut everybody off. I'm saying when you focus on the audience of one, he will inspire. He'll speak. He'll give you the burdens necessary. And you'll make the change in people's lives. You always bring out the message that can bring a change in their, in their lives. And I look at Jesus and I watch what he's done and how he ministers to people. He was never manipulated by the crowds. He was never seeking their approval or their disapproval. He just didn't. See, live for that audience of one. I pray that we would be a people who commit our lives to living for the audience of one. Him. Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 30. He said, by myself I can do nothing. Jesus said that. This is the one who commanded the seas to be silent. He walked on waters. Think of all the things he did, the healings, except he said, I myself can do nothing. I judge only what I hear. And my judgment is true. We've been talking Wednesday nights the importance of wisdom. And I think this kind of ties in. I myself can do nothing. I judge only what as I hear. And my judgment is just for I what? I seek not to please myself. There's the key for your judgment being just. For wisdom. To knowing what is right and wrong. I'm not seeking to be right. I'm not seeking for myself. But the scripture says Jesus. But I, <laughs> I don't seek. To please myself, but him who has sent me. Wow. 
I'm only, I care about only one. I only care to please the one who sent me. I tell you what, if you're only concerned about pleasing the one, if, you, if you're living before the audience of one, doesn't it simplify your life? Man, boy, it makes it so much easier to make choices, to respond, to establish boundaries and barriers, to be used of God, to be able to sit still and rest in Him. And here's the truth. I'm glad you're here this morning. It's a big one. Only those who pay the tithes and offerings can hear this. But if you did, then this will work for you. Don't try to please everybody. Because you can't. Thank you. Listen to me. If God likes what you're doing, you're doing right. If God likes what you're doing, you're doing right. And that's a good thing. Look at Luke chapter 16, verse 13 says, No servant can serve, what? Two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. You can't. Let's, let's live before the audience of one. Amen. So, so I guess the bottom line here is, you've got to decide. I have to decide. Who am I going to live for? Am I going to live for God's approval or other people's approval? What am I living for? But if I have the mind of Christ, if I'm thinking like Jesus is, then I'm going to be secure in my identity, secure in my purpose, in God's presence, and I won't need people to validate my life. Number six, when I think like Jesus, I depend on God's power instead of my own. I'll tell you what, that'll transform your life. It'll transform your worship. It'll transform your prayer. It'll transform, it'll change you. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, the son, of, son came to do nothing by himself. can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus says, I can only do what I see my father doing. I'm going to chip off the old block. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reflect Christ. That's what I'm going to do. I, I don't have any power in myself. It's in him. And that's the way it ought to be. Jesus wasn't independent of the Father's power. And if he's not independent of the Father's power, certainly we cannot and should not be. And I'll tell you what, one of the ways you can tell whether you're trying to do everything in your own human power, and your, your power alone is you're tired all the time. Now I understand there may be some medical reasons behind it, but, but oftentimes you're running yourself ragged. You're trying to accomplish this, that, and the other thing. You've got candles burning on all ends. You've got all kinds of things going on. You're like the woman with spaghetti. <laughs> We've talked about that. We've teased about that, you know. Men are waffles and women are spaghetti. Well, men, everything's in little compartments, you know. Like a waffle. And ladies are like this <laughs> spaghetti all over the place. You know, that's what they say. That's another time, another day. But if you're trying to run around and do so many different things, you get tired. You try and do it on your own. Don't do that. Human energy, human power runs out. Now, folks, I'll come back to this subject in a later date. We don't have time this morning because, like I said this morning, I just want to give you a quick re overview uh, of all these different uh, characteristics. And, and Lord willing, later, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into detail on each aspect of the mind of Christ. Okay? That's kind of a tag to bring you back. I'm looking for the crowd. <laughs> Number seven. 
When I think like Jesus, I forgive my enemies. This is probably going to be the hardest one. Character of Christ. When I think like Jesus, I forgive my enemies and those who hurt me. Wow. <laughs> it's the hallmark of Christ. On the very cross, we know that Jesus prayed. He prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And they divided up his clothes and cast And he's on the cross. He is in agony and pain. There is blood is just draining the life out of him. Nailed to the cross. There are people who nailed him there who are standing there. Who have brought the pain on him. And the hurt. And he says forgive them. They know what they're doing. That's the mind of Christ. That's what it means to think like Jesus. To be willing to forgive the people who hurt you the most. And I think at some point in our time, we need to think about that. We really need to think about the people who have hurt us in the past, who have hurt us today. Who have hurt us in a way that is affecting us. It may be affecting, let me tell you something, spiritually it's going to affect you, but if you hold on to that bitterness, it will affect you physically. When you think like Jesus, you need to be willing to forgive the people who hurt you. Who are the people you're holding the grudge on? Who are the people who didn't treat you fairly? There's any justice. See, when you hold on to the hurt, who are you hurting? Just yourself. And you have to forgive the person. Not because they need it, not because they asked for it. They don't even deserve it. But you didn't deserve it either. He forgave you. You forgive the person because you don't want to hold on to the pain and the hurt and the resentment. You've heard me say it before and I, I heard it from somebody else and I just repeated it. When you refuse to forgive. <laughs> if you don't refer, when you hold on forgiveness into your life, it's like you're drinking poison hoping that the other person dies. Don't work that way. Jesus said this in Matthew 5. He said, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Oh, great, he added to it. Not only do I have to forgive them, but I'm supposed to love them. And he said, I'm supposed to pray for them. I got a prayer for them, let me tell you right now. <laughs> He's pushing the limit on this. He said, if you're going to learn to think like me, then you're going to have to learn not only to forgive, but to love them and to pray for them. Because if for some slim chance they knew who I was and they served me and worshipped me, they'd be different. And your solution is they get to know me. That'll change things. But that's hard, preacher. I didn't say it was easy. But Jesus said, I tell you, love your enemies. Why? That you may be sons of, the, of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even tax collectors doing that? 
They're taking all your money and they're loving you because they're getting all the money from you. Jesus said, I want you to love your enemies and I want you to pray for them. If you have the mind of, let me say, if you don't have the mind of Christ, you're not going to, well, you're going to have the mind of the evil one. Become an accuser of the brethren. You're going to have the mind of the world. And it's going to affect you physically. It's going to affect your heart. So what do you think? And that unforgiveness, what's it going to do for you? It's going to leave you in pain. Number eight. When I think like Jesus, I'm willing to sacrifice for others. We're just looking at the characteristics of Christ. The way he was thinking things he did. Because it gives us an insight. It's giving us a handle of what it means to be like Jesus. To have the mind of Christ. We want to minister to the world around us so they can see Jesus through us. Well, here's some of the characteristics of Christ. I've heard it over the years. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. What does it mean to be like Jesus? Let's go back to the characteristics of Christ. And see exactly how he responded, what he did. And let's see if we can't put a handle on that for our own lives. Commit ourselves to that. Be willing to sacrifice for others. See, a lot of people will sacrifice for themselves. But if you're going to be like Christ, you're going to be willing to sacrifice for the benefit of others. Jesus said this. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Wow. I give up my life. That's what he says. I sacrifice myself for the benefit of others. That's what it means to think like Jesus. He's going to say it not just once, but he's going to say it over and over again in Scripture, time after time. He's going to tell us he came to serve to, and to sacrifice and to give. Mark 10, 45 says this, For even the Son of Man didn't come to what be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I look at the passage of Scripture, I say, well, yeah, that summarizes, that summarizes the heart of Christianity. To serve and to give. And the only way you're going to... It's only in giving your life away that you'll ever be able to experience that fullness of life. You say, well, Pastor Bob, you know, Jesus sacrificed. No, He did. I know He did because He was the Son of God. He sacrificed because He was the Savior of the world. I'm not the Savior of the world. So why should I lay down my life for anybody? Well, if you're going to be like Jesus, he's going to take you through everything he went through. Spiritually. And some physically. physically. Now listen, we all know the one probably one of the most famous scriptures in all the Bible is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son, whoever believes in him, does not perish but have everlasting life. And that is God saying, here's what I'm doing. Here's what Here's my call. Here's my responsibility. Here's what I did for you. And the scripture says God gave. He gave. Let me tell you something. You can give without loving. We see it all the time. People just do it on obligations. Just do it. They're giving without loving. But I'll tell you what. You cannot love without giving. God said loving and giving, they go together. So scripture said God gave. John 3.16. First John chapter 3.16 says this. Now this is kind of neat. Now he's talking about our responsibility. This is how we know that what love is. God, Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
and we ought to what? Lay our lives down for our brothers. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. And now he says, you ought to lay your life down for each other. And you say, whoa, that's a brand new understanding of what it means to follow Christ as a believer and to be part of the church. Number nine, when I think like Jesus, I got like 20 more of these, so hang on. No, I'm kidding. Number nine, when I think like Jesus, I want to do God's will, not mine. It seems like that's a simple one. But all throughout Scripture, Jesus is going to say it over and over and over again. Again, he's going to say, but I, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 14, 31, he's going to say, but the world must learn, notice this, the world, the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me Come now, let us leave. Listen to me. What was Jesus saying? He says, first of all, I've come down to do the Father's will, not to do my own. That's a radical, you know, counterculture statement, isn't it? Because who today generally says, you know, um, I want to do for you. Seems like everybody wants to get something. We're very self-centered. Sad part is that self-centeredness comes into the church, it comes into the worship, it comes into our prayer life, it comes into everything we do in life. What I saw in John 14, 31 was how Jesus said he wants the world to learn that he, that he loves his Father. And that's the question we have to ask. Do I want the world to know that I love God? Jesus said, I want the world to know that. And that's exactly why I do everything exactly as my Father tells me. The reason why I'm obedient is I want the world to know. The, the reason why I, I am precise in, in allowing the Word of God to transform my life is because I want the world to know that I love God, that I love Him. Jesus has spoken those words too. He had said this, if you love me, He said, you'll keep my commandments. Obedience, folks, is an evidence of love. It's real easy to do, do what God tells you to do when it's easy, when it's fun, when it's full of pleasure. But it's not so easy when it could make pain. And pain in your life could change your life a little bit, kind of squeezes, our, squeezes it out of that little box that we have. Even when it seems to be difficult, even impossible. But Jesus is going to give us that extreme example. Go back to Gethsemane, Mark chapter 14, verse 36. He cries, Abba, Father. The night before he's going to the cross, he's in the garden of Gethsemane. He's, that's his favorite place to pray. He's in agony. He's in agony knowing that there's going to be pain, emotional pain physical pain, spiritual pain. That very next day, there's going to be all kinds of trials. He knows about it. There's going to be all kinds of uh, torture and thorns in his, in his brow. He'd be spit upon and hit and beaten, scourged 40 times with a whip, and he's going to be nailed to the cross. He knows that physical pain's coming, but he also knows the emotional pain's attached to it. Because he's going to carry the sins of the world, the guilt and the shame of the world. So there at Gethsemane, he's praying. He wants to do the Father's will, not his own, even if it's painful. That's what he prays. 
says, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. But not what I will, but what you will. There's actually three parts to this prayer. First of all, he says, Abba, Father. We know it. We talked about it before. That's the most intimate word in Scripture. It meaning daddy. It's a relationship. Jesus is saying daddy. I hope that we can say the same. To have that relationship, that, that confidence in who we are in Christ. We call him daddy. Second, Jesus prayed, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup from me. Please take this cup of suffering from me. And thirdly, he says, I want, to do, <laughs> I want your will to be done. I thought about that, how that we are going to, from time to time, we're going to experience this Gethsemane experience. A time when you're in pain. A time when you're hurting. A time when you're praying for relief. God's will was that Jesus, his son, would go to the cross. He was not going to take that from him. He was not going to relieve him from that pain. He was going to let him go through that pain in order for the good of other people. And folks, let me tell you something. Sometimes we suffer. Physical and emotional pain we, for the benefit of others. It's called redemptive suffering. And anytime you're in this in major pain, it's appropriate for you to pray the, the Garden of Gethsemane prayer. Three parts. It first starts off with faith. Jesus in faith cries out, Father, Daddy, I know that you have the power to change the situation. And you can do it too. When you find yourself in a financial situation, a relational situation, or maybe a mental problem, or an emotional problem, whatever the problem might be, you start off by saying in faith, I know that you have the ability, my Lord. I know that you have the power. It's possible. Everything is possible for you. Secondly, you can ask for help. I would like to be delivered from this, Lord. I'm in a lot of pain right now. I'm asking for relief. I'm asking for you to do a miracle, Lord. You have to do a miracle. I almost feel like the woman with the issue. I'm going one place after another. After... I need a miracle, Lord. It's okay to ask for that. It's appropriate to ask God. I'm asking you to change the situation, Lord. You can, please, change the situation. That's faith and asking together. But the third part, that's the part we miss. It's called surrender. He says, Lord, even though I'm asking you to take away the pain, the hurt, take away the tough time that I'm going through, all that is there right now, I surrender to you. More than anything else, more than relief, I want your will, not mine, to be done. I may not understand any of it, but I want your will to be done. And that's how Jesus prayed. The greatest crisis. Not my will yours be done. That is the mind of Christ. That is thinking like Jesus. And that takes an enormous amount of maturity and spiritual maturity. And that becomes the question for us. Are we at a place in our walk with Christ knowing the word and etc. Are we at the place where we can say Lord I want your will done not mine. And I want you to notice the next verse, Philippians chapter 2. We've been kind of punching away at this on Wednesday night, that word humility, being humbled. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. 
Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. I want you to see that now. Jesus humbled himself. When the scripture says he humbled himself, that means it was his choice. He did that. He wasn't humbled by those around. No, he chose to be humbled, even become obedient to death. He's fully obedient to, to the Father, even when it causes death on the cross. The result is verse 9. Because he humbled himself, God exalted him. Because he humbled himself, God would raise him up to the highest place and make his name greater than any other name. The name of Jesus. The greatest name all around the world. It will always be forever and forever on this earth and in heaven itself. The scripture says in James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more, gives us more grace. That's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's part of the problem why we can't forgive, is because we're full of pride. Someone stepped on our feelings, someone stepped on it. They didn't do right, but don't they recognize who I am? And because of that pride in our life, we are, we're opposing our God, and as a result, we're not going to experience His grace, His healing, His ministry. Why? Because we need to be humbled. Grace is only given to the humble. Does that make sense? So I want you to remember this when you're going through something that's pretty heavy, pretty humiliating. If you be humble, if you humble yourself before our God, He will lift you up in due time. Notice I said in due time. You don't say, okay, I humble myself, Lord. I'm pounding the moments in due time. And that's his promise time and time again. And finally, the tenth is this. When I think like Jesus, I start thinking with an eternal perspective. That's in full quote. For the blessing of blessed hope before. All of a sudden, when you begin to think like Jesus, all of a sudden you realize there's more to life than just here and now. And that's how Jesus was able to handle the pain. And that's how we'll be able to handle whatever we're going through. Because I'll tell you what. Pain is unbearable when it's without purpose. But with this purpose, if we understand, if we have an eternal perspective, we have purpose, then you know what? We can, we can stand an enormous amount of pain. To see purpose in pain. And to be able to look beyond the pain to the reward. And that's exactly what Jesus would do on the cross. He looked past the pain. He had that eternal perspective. He wasn't looking at just the here and now. And if we're just looking at the here and now, then we're going to get discouraged. We're going to want to give up. We're going to, we're going to get depressed. But Jesus looked past the pain and looked unto the reward. He valued the eternal reward far more than the temporary pleasures on this earth. And I guess the question is, do we do? Do we? You see, the only way we can get through some of the toughest times in our life is look past to the Lord in heaven. Look what the scripture says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, perfecter of our faith. He was willing, Jesus was willing to die that, that, that shameful death on the cross. Why? Because of the joy set before him. We're talking about eternity in heaven forever and forever and ever. And now because of that, he, the scripture says, is now seated in the place of highest honor beside God's throne in heaven. It's a glory. 
Folks, this morning I went through the ten really quick. And now they're all part of that rethinking our life. And I do hope over the next few weeks that we'll be able to go in more depth into each one of those. But I do want to mention in closing, you know what that means when a preacher says in closing, he goes on for another 20 minutes, but that's not what it's going to be. Last week I mentioned the word repentance and how the word repentance has become a negative term. It almost become a violent term. When you hear people repent, calling for repentance, they got their signs and they're beating people over the head with it. You know, repent, turn, or burn. You know, they're all going to hell. It's negative. You realize that really the word repentance, it means a change of mind. Changing your mind from, from darkness to light, from, from hell to heaven, changing your mind from guilt to forgiveness, changing your mind from being in prison to, forgiveness, uh, to freedom, changing your mind from having no purpose to having purpose, from meaninglessness to, to meaningfulness from stress to serenity. And it goes on and on and on. Repentance is a, a, a positive way. It brings change, great change. When you have the mind of Christ, what you're saying is, I'm not going to think the way I thought for the last 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 70 years. I'm going to begin to think the way Jesus did. And that's called repentance. I'm going to put on the mind of Christ I'm going to spend time in prayer. We're going to develop the word in my life. The mind of Christ. That is the healthiest, happiest, holistness way. Holistness is another word. To think. It's the Greek. Holistness. It's there. Yeah. Don't challenge me. I'll find it in Scripture. <laughs> And maybe some translations, some, I don't, I'll find it. <laughs> First of all, there's two ways you can think like Jesus. First of all, you've got to study his life, study his words. I, I like the message paraphrase because it kind of sits it right at home. It just meant a lot. It just worked. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished his race. We're in. Now this part, study how he did it. It's a paraphrase from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Study how he did it. He never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilaration finished in and with God. He could put up with everything, anything along the way, the cross, the shame, whatever. And now he's there in a place of honor, right alongside God. And when you find yourself flagging in faith, go over the story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through. And what will it do? It'll shoot adrenaline into your soul. Amen. And that's what it goes back to. He said, I want you to study how he did it. This is a race. Life's a race. It's, a, it's not just a quick sprint. It's a marathon. Study how he did it. And the second thing we have to do is that's got to show the meaning of the text in Scripture and how it applies to our lives. How it applies to our lives today. Psalm 119, verse 18 is a good verse for us to pray. Father, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your law. You say amen.
My prayer is, and we're going to go to prayer in a few moments, that the Lord will transform each one of us by His Spirit. He's going to transform us into something, into godly leaders. And the men and women, empowered by the Holy Spirit, with their giftedness being on display, showing people that we love the Father, we love the Lord. So we can make a difference in our world for the glory of God. And I pray that this week, that as you find time before the Lord and through the Scriptures, that you are going to begin to get an understanding of who you are. Your identity will be found in Christ. And the reason why you why you got put you on this world. You're not here by accident. Though others might have said whatever, God has a plan and purpose for your life. And your life may not start off like it's like you thought and maybe like others wanted, but I tell you when God gets into it, He can restore the years that the locust has taken. He can transform you and give you purpose. Amen. Our purpose on this earth, knowing that His purpose is always with us, those values that He has given to us are there for us and they last forever and forever. My prayer is going to be that we receive that kind of information, that kind of assurance, that kind of grace. That's what God wants us to know. Father, I pray right now for everyone in this congregation. They may see the incredible potential in their lives, what you've given to them. But it's going to be as they surrender, as they surrender, as we surrender ourselves to you, as we begin to learn and learn your mind, to think like you, that you will be done. As it is spoken, as it is written, so let it be. Holy Spirit, have your way. Truth says, Amen. Spend some time, a few moments around the altar, asking God to bless, contemplating, thinking about, just sitting still for a little bit, that God might be glorified. Amen. Amen. Every stronghold must come down. It must be broken. It starts here. Think like Jesus thinks. When you begin to think like this, you build up a heart for God and for those around you. You say amen. Amen. God, thank you, Lord, for the time together in your word. I pray, Father, that as we go through the week, bring back to memory these things that were spoken. We'll spend time before you, my Lord, and we'll make a commitment to becoming more like you, begin to think like you. I thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord, because it's going to be a long journey for some of us. Father, it's okay. You prepare the way. We love you much. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Folks, you're dismissed. 